Hi, I'm Megan Lawrence, and welcome to the Wild Leaders Podcast. Wild stands for Whole and Intentional Leader Development, and in this episode, you'll be listening to one of our Wild Conversations. Wild Conversations are interactive virtual experiences every Friday for one hour with leaders from around the country. It's no cost to join or attend, and you can sign up by visiting wildleaders.org backslash wildconversation. You can also listen on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us and subscribe. Wild Conversations are led by our founder and CEO, Dr. Rob McKenna. Named one of the top 30 IO psychologists alive today, Dr. McKenna is passionate about developing leaders and transforming the way we see people in our organizations. As he will tell you, we have the tools at our fingertips to invest in our people in ways that are meaningful to them and will get the results we need. 30 years of research has taught us how much people learn and grow on the job. We have what it takes to create rich learning environments for the people we lead, and all we have to do is begin to act on what we know. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. Hey, I'm excited to be with all of you today. Great to see so many familiar faces and some new folks joining us. As we go through our wild conversation, and our new series is on leading leadership half-truths, half-truths in leading. Some weeks we'll be debunking a topic, other weeks we'll be recalibrating or reimagining it. And this week is on psychological safety, and it's something that I'm excited about because it's actually a really important ingredient in healthy and whole organizations and teams. But it's also something that popular culture has co-opted a bit, popular leadership culture, and quite honestly, watered down uh, quite a bit. In fact, as I was preparing for this session this week, an article hit my inbox about psychological safety with teams. So of course, I opened it. I was excited to see what they're going to say. Maybe there's something I could add in. But the definition was pretty weak. And these suggestions, unfortunately, were, were super simplistic. I mean, it was one of those three steps to psychological safety, elevator speeches, but the stuff that I think almost all of us could just come up with um, on the fly. There wasn't a lot of depth there. And so my hope today is that as we get into a little bit of psychological safety from the research, we can find what is it, what are some of the wrinkles or the twists, the half-truths, and then what are some strategies that we can practice and experiment with for ourselves to cultivate psychological safety. And then the best part is gonna be when we get you back in those breakouts for a longer discussion, and then we're gonna crowdsource your insights on how to architect psychological safety. So my hope is to give you some handholds and some springboards. So what is psychological safety really? It's, it's a fascinating concept. I, I got introduced to this concept, I can't believe it, 16 years ago in undergraduate psychology. As I first heard it, it had this, just intuitive appeal. And as you dig into it, the concept has been around since the mid 60s when some management thinkers, luminaries, Edgar Schein, Warren Bennis, introduced it as, as a critical part of organizational change and learning. If you know much about theories of change, the basic piece, the most basic fundamental piece is you unfreeze a system before you can make some adaptations, some change, and then refreeze it to a new normal. Sounds kind of like today a little bit, right? And so in this unfreezing process, they said psychological safety is key to help catalyze learning and, and change. But it's really not to the last probably 10 years that it's really picked up again 
and gotten really popular. And today you see it everywhere. Leadership experts throw it around, coaches throw it around. It's in articles, it's in memes all over on LinkedIn. I even know companies who have made psychological safety their core value. And I'm not, I'm not against it, but the question is, what is it really and how do we actually build it? And at the heart of psychological safety in the research is the, is the belief that your workplace is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. It's all about the safety to take relational interpersonal risks. And it makes sense. As I started to deconstruct this for myself, I thought, of, okay, what's the opposite of safety? The dictionary, the antonym of safety is danger or risk. And so psychological safety can be a little obtuse. It's hard to think about. It might be a little ethereal. So I thought, okay, let me think of physical safety. If I think of my house, my um, uh, eight-year-old daughter will often run out of bed at night and say, you know, daddy, are the doors locked? And so there's these cues that she knows to indicate that at least there's a perception of objective safety physically, right? Like maybe the doors are locked if you've got a good security system. Uh, Daddy's home in her case. Um, you know, do we live next to the sheriff? Does that help? You know, so there's all these artifacts or things I can imagine. And I know we've got some, some experts on this session on, on, on actual security uh, at an enterprise level. But even just thinking of your own home, you've got some things. Maybe it's the neighborhood you live in. Is it, did you just move there? Do you know your neighbors? We have perceptions that help us think somewhat objectively that there might be safety. But they're still subjective. Uh, as in, there's no danger. Psychological safety has, has some similar things, but it's, 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 it's more subjective. It's harder to point to, to a, an artifact and say, oh yeah, because of that, I'm safe. And so the, the subjective nature makes it harder to see, but it doesn't make it any less important. But because it's invisible, it can be somewhat easy to, to dismiss. And in fact, all the stuff we deal with psychologically are the invisible things that we know impact the physical all the invisible things that are actually impacting the visible, right? The budgets, the buildings, your strategy, um, your team, the technology you're using, all those things are tangible, but it's the invisible stuff. Is somebody feel safe? Is there trust? Those perceptions of the consequences of interpersonal risk being minimalized that's, that's what we're really getting at with psychological safety. So the couple of the definitions that the, the best definitions out there that people kind of coalesce around is that I have a perception that if I take an interpersonal risk, that there's a minimal risk of consequences to me. Or the one I like even better is I'm in a context where interpersonal risk-taking is discouraged. Oh, sorry, encouraged. Inter interpersonal risk-taking is encouraged. What that can look like is people in, in your organization, in your team, you can think about this for family system too, but in a, in a team and an organization, feeling safe to speak up, to make suggestions, to challenge the status quo or, or current ways of doing things. You might even say that it looks like innovation, some, a, a little bit, little bit disruptive. And, and so it's, it's that condition where you, if, if you're going to bring your voice, if you will, you have the perception that it's safe to do so and you're not going to get some blowback. So this is similar to trust. And a lot of times people just conflate those together and, and they're super similar, but a little bit different. Um, Amy Edmondson is one of the top researchers in this area out of Harvard in the last couple decades. Um, and she, I love how she defined it. So I'm going to read it twice because it bend, bended my brain a little bit. She talked about trust is capturing your willingness to be vulnerable to others which is giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so I'm going to assume 
Uh, I'm going to give the other person the benefit of the doubt in a relationship. Psychological safety, on the other hand, it, it's, it's hand in hand, is the extent to which I believe that others or you will give me the benefit of the doubt when taking risks. So if, if, I, if, I'm, uh, give, if, if, you're, if you trust me, um, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, but the psychological safety is from my vantage point. Do I believe that if I take a relational risk, an interpersonal risk, but I'm safe to take that psychologically without risks of, repercuss of repercussions. So it doesn't take a whole lot to connect the dots between why psychological safety matters in workplaces. And, and it has for a while, there's a lot of research on it, but even more in a virtual or hybrid environment where you're trying to minimize um, that danger or that risk. So you can foster conditions for people to learn, to experiment, to quite literally take, to quite literally take risks. Um, and the research shows there's some great studies that um, Claire will be sharing as we go along. If you want to dig a little bit deeper, um, some of the seminal, seminal work in a couple of recent pieces. But if we think of the last seven months with the need for organizations and individuals to learn to reinvent and turn that adaptability into performance, it, it, it's, it's evident why psychological safety has got a ton of, um, of attention lately. One, one of the biggest factors that psychological safety predicts is quite literally learning activities. Or if it's psychologically safe, people are going to take the action to learn, which then drives a lot of adaptability and growth, performance, engagement, some of the things that it's, it, it's predictive of. So when I dig into the research, and this is why I love this, as, as Claire said, it is the wild toolkit. Our system is quite literally architected it's, it's what it does. I was reading the literature. I said, this is what our system does, and this is what it was purposed to do. So I'm a big fan of psychological safety. So the question then is, okay, Daniel, what's the half truth, right? If psychological safety is good, should we just double down? And should, if I'm investing money in my own development or the development of my team, should I just double down on psychological safety? Maybe. It depends what you mean by that. So let, let me share with you uh, three twists. And then I'm going to give you four strategies. There's a lot of strategies, but I'm going to give you four handholds as you get into your conversation and, and start to think about how can you generate psychological safety yourself. So three twists. Here's the first twist. Safety does not eliminate stretch. Safety doesn't eliminate stretch. Conventional thinking, the meme level thinking on psychological safety says, let's focus. Psychological safety is great. Let's focus all of our resources there. Let's eliminate risk. Let's get risk out completely. But here's the paradox. Letting go of safety is where the learning often occurs. Safety allows, both allows us to learn, but can also keep us from some of our best learning. Because if we look at the, all the research on, on leaders' development and growth, people grow in the, in the times when they're stretched, and they don't know if they're going to succeed or fail. And so even today, researchers are starting to look at the dark side of psychological safety. And, and some of the research is starting to show if there, is, if there is so much safety, you can get complacent and actually not activate yourself to, to learn. And so there's this, there's this tension. Safety inherently is, is in this interplay with risk. If we only focus on psychological safety, even though it's a, it's a great concept, we can miss a whole bunch of other things that are, 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 are meaningful and that matter for us. So one of the things I want to point out is that psychological, creating psychological safety is not the same as eliminating all risks. We need risk and challenge to grow. The key is that word consequences. Do I believe there'll be repercussions? Because risk is at the heart of it. But again, remember, there's a perception. 
So you can look at it as minimizing risk, or you can look at it as creating a context, context where risks are encouraged. And that's the definition that I'm seeing that, that I resonate most with, because if you think about creating a, a secure place where somebody feels intact, they can take a risk, a risk which is gonna result in learning, which is gonna result in adaptability and hopefully lead to performance. So the first thing, I, I, the first thing is that is it's tempting when a concept gets popular to generalize it, but psychological safety is not the same as psychological sterility. Psychological safety is not the same as psychological sterility or even psychological comfort. And so that's, that gets into my second piece, my, sec, my second twist. Psychological safety doesn't equal easy. Safety doesn't equal easy. One of the conventional things people will say today, and we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks, is that, well, psychological safety means creating a space for people to be their full, authentic selves, right? Yes, sort of. It's, it's not that easy. We're going, to get, we're going to get into authenticity in a few weeks, the half-truth there. But there's a difference. One of the common things I see is that a psychologically safe place means that people should be free to be their authentic selves. They can express themselves, they can be themselves, and they can live uh, their authentic self out. Yes, but that doesn't mean there are difficult, there aren't difficult conversations or disagreements or contrary points of view. The question is, can we have those points of view in tandem? So you don't have to look far. We've got an election coming up in a couple weeks. Pick whatever issue that is your hot button issue politically or that you don't want to talk about with people. And think about people you might even have a close relationship with, but you might not feel psychological safety to bring up that issue because there will be repercussions and it might damage their relationships. So you've chosen to back off. And sometimes there can be healthy boundaries there. But, but imagine that a psych psychological safety doesn't mean everyone has a kumbaya session and is easy. Again, it's not psychological sterility or comfort. It, it means that you can actually engage in a really good civil discourse about whether it's a conversation on your hot button political issue, racial justice, or what should we do for executing that marketing strategy? It can, can be serious to benign. The definition, and, and, and here's part of what's, what's key, is you can't mandate psychological safety for somebody. Uh, you don't just make somebody conform. And that's one of the challenges is it's an invitation into a possible disagreement, but a, but a meaningful conversation. We talk uh, a lot in uh, one of our uh, modules, leading under, the Leading Under Pressure Inventory, we talk a lot about leadership differentiation, this concept of I can be fully myself, I've got strong sense of clarity, convictions, um, but deeply held beliefs, but I'm also attuned to and connected to the deeply held beliefs, convictions of others. And psychological safety doesn't mean we fully agree. It means that I'm attending to who you are, what you are, but I'm also holding space for myself and we're, and we're doing that together. And I trust, I believe that if I can bring some of who myself is, you might disagree and you might change my perspective, but you're not gonna condemn me or have a repercussion that's gonna impact me in work. So psychological safety doesn't mean psychological ease because disagreements are important for trust and, and safety. And safety, number three, it, it's, it isn't the same for everyone. Safety isn't the same for everyone. So a, a, a simplistic approach would be, let's just hire and train people to be psychologically safe. Let's hire, hire people who can do this and let's train people. And, and you, can, you can develop it, that's why we're even having this conversation. But who is safe? 
my safety might, I might perceive it differently than you. It, again, it's a cognitive state individually, or if you think of a group, it's a collective cognitive state or climate, right? And so I might perceive something to be safe, but you don't. It's why you can't mandate safety. It's one of the reasons I kind of laugh when I see it in a, in a corporate value. Not, not that it shouldn't be, but, but it's kind of like, we are going to be, we have psychological safety. We're going to be psychologically safe. Well, you might invite me into it and you might believe it's psychologically safe and it might be for you or you perceive that, but it might not be for me. It's a whole nother conversation where we get into inclusion and diversity programs. Oftentimes they're set up in a way that one group feels psychologically safe, but another doesn't. And so you get some people bringing voice and other people who don't. It's kind of like a whack-a-mole game. You bring one thing, but it's going to pop up somewhere else. And so creating the conditions for psychological safety, it's an invitation, but the other might not choose to accept that invitation. And so we spoke a few weeks ago about uh, a focus on the one with an eye to the many. At the end of the day, this is why anytime we're working with, with tools or a process, it has to include somebody's story. It has to get to the individual person, even if you're making it happen for the group. So psychological safety matters, but it's not the silver bullet. It's not just, let's just go make things psychologically safe or declare it from the rooftop and assume will be so. So the good news is that there are ways to, to, to generate it or foster it. So I'm, I'm going to share just, just four quick ones, and then we're going to get you into a conversation. By no means, by the way, is this, are these the only ways to do it? I'm excited to crowdsource what you're going to bring. And again, Claire's going to put those, those research articles in there because there's some great things you can dig into. Uh, like they used to say on Reading Rainbow, don't just take my word for it. Go dig in and, 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 and do some investigation yourself. But these are four things to increase psychological safety and, and honestly, trust and alignment at the same time. They're, we often synonymize them even though they're, they're a little bit different. So here's the first piece. A couple tips from what I saw in the research and, and what we've seen as we've worked with teams to do this again and again and again. The first is invite it, don't declare it. Invite it, don't declare it. Saying it is so does not make it so. If you say we have a culture of psychological safety, the, uh, the reality is maybe not for somebody. And so a better way of thinking about it is I'm, we are, I am working hard or we are working hard to foster psychological safety. But as soon as you introduce a new person to the team or group, that definition might need to change a little bit. And so saying it so doesn't make it so. Creating space for one might be, mean excluding space for another. And so just because you declare it doesn't mean it's so. Inviting it is a, is a, is a deeper relational process. And so the second piece is what I call looking with people, not at people. Looking with people, not at people. Oftentimes someone will say with our tools or our process, how does it foster inclusion or how does it build trust? And the reason it does is because the reason it does those things is because it's, it's the ideal is we start to move as leaders from looking at people in purely evaluative ways. And by the way, evaluation matters. So I never say you can't do that. Um, evaluation does matter because we have to make decisions with limited resources. But how do we look, instead of looking at people, move to looking with people? And so there's a relational piece. The supportive relationship is one of the biggest predictors of psychological safety. The relationship matters, and there's a lot of things that leaders can do. And it starts with asking questions, getting into discussions. Um, inviting perspectives, even if they're, they're dissenting, and holding space for that and, and, and thanking and acknowledging it. It starts with looking with people, not at people. Third thing, and this is, was overwhelming in the research and a little counterintuitive, relationship matters, 
but way more than the relationship is the, is the architecture of the context. So architecting the context matters. One of the things that is surprising is that the, the, the strongest predictor of psychological safety are the architecting are the structures you can architect. It's one of the reasons at the beginning of this call that the way that Claire let us in with a little bit of levity, the way that she introduced the rules of engagement, her introduction to, to me, the way she um, got you into the breakouts, all those things are architected, they're planned, they're processed. It's why we're a big fan on our team with other teams of having a team charter, some rules of engagement, whether it's short at the beginning of a call or a longer document. It's why repetition and rhythms matter. If you've been on this call before, you know what to expect. If you're new, there's a rhythm. You can, you can tell and feel most folks here kind of know what they're doing. And so I can just kind of come into it. You feel safe. There's a lot of things we can do to architect the context from having independent shared, shared work and outcomes, having just the right amount of autonomy. So architecting the context is one of the most important things. If you as a leader can, can, set, the, can set the stage build the framework, the, the, relate, the relational pieces you do later matters, but the context matters even more to set those signals. And lastly, this is just to, to our hearts and we see this, you foster it, you don't fix it. Foster it, don't fix it. Psychological safety doesn't take as long as culture. When people say I'm gonna change culture, it's like, great, you're gonna fire everybody and replace them. That's a, that's a long change. Psychological safety can develop faster than culture, but it still takes a long time. It, it takes a bit of time. It takes intentionality. It's not a quick hit. It's not a one-off. It's not an elevator pitch. It's not a seminar. And so you foster psychological safety. You don't fix it. You invite it. And development is a long play. And so is psychological safety as, as a key piece of that. So those are a few things. Invite it. Don't declare it. Look with people, not at people. Architect the context and foster it. Don't try to fix it. So Hopefully that just opens up a million other ways that you're thinking creatively about how you can architect uh, a context for psychological safety. And so Claire is going to lead us now into another discussion. We're going to go a little bit deeper and you, we get to hear from you, your wisdom about how you've seen this done or how you might imagine it happening. Next is our spotlight from our live and interactive wild conversation. This is an interview with one of the leaders who was on the call for this topic, and we think you'll really enjoy their insights. Thanks for listening. Hi, Kaylee. So, Kaylee, how about you introduce yourself, and I'll ask you some more questions. Sounds good. I suspect this will be the, the easier of the questions. So, um, uh, so yes, I'm Kaylee Durham, and uh, I live here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I serve a an engineering and manufacturing company doing our organizational development work. Oh, that's awesome. We're so happy to have you here, Kaylee. Especially, I really liked your, your thing in the chat. We'll have you double click on that. You said, don't minimize the value of crafting the environment, including with humor. What does that look like for you? And um, why was that sort of your takeaway from today? Yeah, well, it's, I, I, sorry for my uh, breakout group who's going to have to hear some overlap, but I, um, I loved that third strategy, that architecting the context. Um, and I think it's something that I have really valued um, and tried to replicate without knowing it. So I, I appreciate having language now. Um, but I think I've learned and experienced as other people have demonstrated it, that um, you know, to use humor as one example, it just 
breaks down barriers. It, it enables people to laugh together, to connect. And so one of the tangible ways that I've tried to really incorporate that is 